power on. Greetings sapient being. Welcome aboard the Starship Alexandria. Prepare for the user podcast. Welcome back aboard the Starship Alexandria. Uh, sorry about the music. You know, if you were on Earth around midnight on January 21st, 2019, and perhaps fortunate enough to be in arguably the planet's most beautiful region, colloquially called New England, it would have been quite a sight. On that day, the moon was a deep red in the night sky, making for a rare event that only happens every few years, a super wolf blood moon. While not as special an event as the mainstream media would have you believe, it did seem rather magical, didn't it? In fact, the more we think about it and ask questions, the moon is itself a marvel. And the more we study it, the more enigmatic it seems to be. Earlier in the month of January 2019, in cooperation with Russian space agency Roscosmos, the China National Space Administration, CNSA, sent back pictures of the moon's far side via robotic lunar rover. As part of the lunar probe mission, Chang'e 4, the Chinese-built lander set down in the Aitken Basin, the moon's largest and oldest impact crater. While probes from other organizations have taken photos of the far side of the moon before, the side of the moon that never shows its face to the Earth due to it being tidal locked with the Earth, the Chang'e 4 mission and its semi-intelligent robots are the first to set foot on the ancient lunar ground. 
Changa, the name of the mission, part of a series of CNSA lunar explorations, is itself a reference to ancient Chinese history and mythology. The myth goes something like this. In the very distant past, ten suns had risen together into the skies and scorched the earth, thus causing hardship for the people. The archer Yi shot down nine of them, leaving just one sun, and was given the elixir of immortality as a reward. He did not consume it straight away, but let Changa keep it with her, as he did not want to gain immortality without his beloved wife Changa. However, while Yi went out hunting, his apprentice broke into his house and tried to force Changa to give him the elixir. She refused, and to prevent him from getting it, drank it. Changa then flew upward toward the heavens, choosing the moon as residence, as she loved her husband and hoped to live nearby him. Yi discovered what had transpired and felt sad, so he displayed the fruits and cakes that Changa had liked and gave sacrifice to her. The story of the moon goddess Changa inhabiting her lunar palace to stay close to her valiant lover is the origin of the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival, a festival practiced around the world with the baking and eating of moon cakes, a delectable pastry also put on an altar erected at the time for the moon goddess in hopes of celebrants being endowed with great beauty. While eating mooncakes might seem antithetical to achieving a conventional sense of beauty, despite proclaimed promises from the Chinese moon goddess, the area of the moon that her namesake's lunar mission is exploring is nothing less than that. Beautiful. Breathtaking pictures of the more ancient and significantly less explored side of the moon have been sent to Earth by the Chang'e 4 robots. With a follow-up mission unsurprisingly named Chang'e 5 to launch soon, it's goal to return samples from the moon's far side back to Earth. This robotic probing, taking of photographs, and returning of samples back to Earth for human study is important. Why? Because our moon is a mystery. While not the only near-Earth object that closely orbits our home, it's actually now one of ten with five asteroids in Earth orbit, along with four objects that are assumed to be part of the Apollo 12 Saturn V rocket, such as the J002E3 space object detected in 2002 that is believed to be a chunk of the rocket's third stage, the moon is certainly the Earth's most consistent celestial object in orbit, and the second brightest object in the Earth's sky, second only to the sun. But for something that has been with the Earth for so long and has been studied since humanity first began studying its surroundings, we can explain very little about the moon itself, or even how and why it's there. Years ago, Erwin Shapiro of the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics said of the moon, The best possible explanation for the moon is observational error. The moon doesn't exist. Whoa, strong words. Oh, never heard of Erwin Shapiro? Thought maybe Brian Sovereign just pulled a name out of some black hat? Well, maybe you've heard of this man, the late renowned professor of biochemistry at Boston University and science fiction writer Isaac Asimov. His thoughts on the moon, and I quote, We cannot help but come to the conclusion that the moon by rights ought not to be there. The fact that it is is one of the strokes of luck almost too good to accept. Small planets such as Earth with weak gravitational fields might well lack satellites, in general, then, when a planet does have satellites, those satellites are much smaller than the planet itself. Therefore, even if the Earth has a satellite, there would be every reason to suspect that at best it would be a tiny world, perhaps 30 miles in diameter. But that is not so. Earth not only has a satellite, but it is a giant satellite, 2,160 miles in diameter. How is it, then, that tiny Earth has one? Amazing! Asimov would later add, 
The moon, which has no atmosphere and no magnetic field, is basically a freak of nature. So, how did this freak of nature come to be? Here we're already running into a problem. No one knows. And it's not that no one knows because no human was around 4.5 billion years ago to see it happen, when the moon was supposedly formed, just 60 million years after the formation of the solar system itself. No, no. No one knows because all of the available theories that we have don't fit the facts about the moon very well. The most popular theory, called the Giant Impact Theory, or the Theia Impact, claims that during the early meganums of our solar system, there were many more than the three or four planets that are in its interior now. One of these, a Mars-sized planet which scientists have called Theia, collided with the Earth in its early stages of formation, and the impact blasted material into Earth's orbit, and then the material accreted and formed the Moon. Before we break down a couple of the problems with the Theia impact theory, let's discuss a few uncontestable facts about the Moon. First, the Earth is the only rocky planet with a moon of significant size at all. Mercury and Venus have no moons, though some theories suggest Earth stole its moon from Venus itself, and the moons of Mars, Deimos and Phobos, are either asteroids captured by that planet's gravity or the remnants of a similar giant impact. Or, more interestingly, the moon Phobos might be artificial and hollow, but more on that later. The Earth's moon is about 1% the mass of its parent planet, while the combined mass of all the moons of the outer planets is no more than one-tenth of 1% of their parent planets. The moon is also responsible for 80% of the angular momentum in the Earth-Moon system, while in the other planets this value is less than 1%. And unlike every other planet or satellite in the solar system, it appears to be made of exactly the same isotopes and the same ratios we observe on Earth. That last fact is highly unusual in and of itself. As the early solar system formed, the lighter isotopes were dispersed by stellar wind, explaining why the inner planets are rocky while the outer planets are gas giants and so-called ice giants, such as Uranus and Neptune. Each of the planets and satellites contains its own unique mixture of isotopic ratios, which is why we can sometimes identify the origins of various meteorites. A meteorite from Mars has a distinctly different isotopic ratio than, say, a meteor from the prime asteroid belt. So the problem with the Theia impact hypothesis is that it has difficulty accounting for why the isotopic ratios on the moon look exactly like the ones we see on Earth. In 2014, there was discovery of some isotopes that may have come from the hypothetical impact planet Theia, but it was scant and still did little to account for the much larger isotopic similarities between Earth and the moon. Variations on the Theia impact are made to try and account for this, but the point remains the same. None of the theories currently on the table about the origin of the moon can adequately explain the origin of the moon in comparison to what we have discovered about it. But what about the theories that aren't so current, or that never get invited to sit at the table in the first place? Here's a doozy for you. In Alan Butler and Christopher Knight's controversial 2005 book titled Who Built the Moon? The authors posit that the moon is itself an artificial, hollow construct built and put in orbit 4.5 billion years ago around the Earth to ensure that life evolved on the Earth. The concept that the moon is responsible for the seemingly rare type of evolution of life on Earth isn't up to debate. That much is certainly true. But who could and would do such a thing? God? Aliens? No. According to the authors, the moon was built by none other than time-traveling humans from the future, making sure that their future comes to pass in some Mobius strip-styled explanation of space-time. While some of what Knight and Butler discuss and present about the moon is intriguing and worth noting, the idea that humans from the future built the moon and put it in orbit in the past eons ago is 
Well, Occam's razor would have a very bloody field day with that. But while humans from the future engaging in such a fantastical enterprise sounds ridiculous and is a wild leap from any facts about the moon that could even begin to lead to such a conclusion, what if they aren't the only ones that have suggested that the moon was an artificial, hollow construct? Alright, stop. I'm not going to reference David Icke's work or his suggestion that the moon is run by lizard Jews that are using it to project a holographic reality onto the Earth to control its population. Ooh, boy, this is what happens when we're left with so many questions about something. No, rather, let's go back to the brilliant Isaac Asimov, shall we? What in blazes is our moon doing way out there? It's too far out to be a true satellite of Earth. It is too big to have been captured by the Earth. The chances of such a capture having been effected and the moon then having taken up a nearly circular orbit about the Earth are too small to make such an eventuality credible. But then, if the moon is neither a true satellite of the Earth, nor a captured one, what is it? While that question was posited by Asimov in 1974, in 1970, Michael Vassin and Alexander Sherbakov of what was then the Soviet Academy of Sciences, being serious as a heart attack and coming from one of the most respected scientific institutions of its time, proposed the hypothesis that the moon is actually a spaceship created by, well, as honestly as they could put it, unknown beings. The article was entitled, Is the Moon the Creation of Alien Intelligence? and was published in Sputnik, the Soviet equivalent of Reader's Digest. Their hypothesis, also known as the Spaceship Moon Hypothesis, relies heavily on the suggestion that large lunar craters, generally assumed to be formed from meteor impact, are generally too shallow and have flat or even convex bottoms. They hypothesize that small meteors are making a cup-shaped depression in the rocky surface of the moon, while the larger meteors are drilling through a rocky layer and hitting an armored hull underneath. The idea that the moon is very much an armored spaceship acting as a veritable shield as it orbits the Earth is certainly a comforting one, considering that any of those craters seen on the moon today were effectively potshots from celestial bodies that could have just as easily hit the Earth and done incalculable damage, preventing the evolution of life and so on, if not for the interference of the moon, whether it's an armored spaceship or just a rock in space. Sherbakov and Vassin also reference earlier speculation by a collaborator of Carl Sagan's, astrophysicist Josef Shlovsky, who suggested that the Martian moon Phobos was an artificial satellite and hollow, or perhaps even a spaceship, an idea that we will discuss in the future since photographic evidence from Russian probes suggests that the moon Phobos can launch missiles. How's that for a tease? But Sherbakov and Vassin's evidence for their article is generally considered circumstantial. Also, one theory goes that in the 1960s, the atheistic Soviet Union was promoting the ancient astronaut theory, another conversation for another time, in an attempt to undermine the United States and its allies' predominance of religious belief. Other evidence has been forwarded for the Spaceship Moon hypothesis, including valid points brought up by the aforementioned Christopher Knight and Alan Butler. For example, in the 1970s, seismometers installed on the moon by the Apollo missions recorded what are called moonquakes. During some of these quakes, the moon was described as ringing like a bell. When the Apollo 12 deliberately crashed the ascent stage of its lunar module onto the moon's surface, it was then claimed that the moon rang like a bell for an hour, leading to arguments that it must be hollow like a bell. Lunar seismology experiments since then have shown that the moonquakes operate very differently from earthquakes, creating the bell sound effect without the need for the moon to be hollow. These same lunar seismology experiments, along with lunar laser ranging, are what have appeared to resolve the question of the moon's density, another favorite topic of spaceship moon theorists. 
Observations from these experiments have constrained the thickness of the moon's crust, mantle, and core, and strongly suggest it could not be hollow. While H.G. Wells would write about a hollow moon home to an insectoid race in his 1901 classic science fiction book, The First Men in the Moon, and other authors, researchers, and scientists have gone forward with the idea since, our scientific exploration of our nearest celestial neighbor suggests that we look elsewhere for signs of extraterrestrial sapience. Or should we look elsewhere? What if there are signs or remains of sapient life not inside the moon, but on its surface? In 2007, Richard C. Hoagland, former science advisor for CBS News and Walter Cronkite, yes, I got to mention Walter Cronkite, whoop, published a New York Times best-selling book with Mike Barra titled Dark Mission, The Secret History of NASA. In the book, Hoagland claims that NASA has found glass structures and advanced technology on the lunar surface, remains of some ancient civilization, or maybe it's the Chinese moon goddess Chang'e's lunar palace. Hmm. But how do we supposedly know about this? Because humanity, during the Apollo missions from 1969 to 1972, did land on the moon, and the astronauts found… something. While I think that the Theia impact is a specious concept, and I am not convinced by the proponents of the spaceship-moon hypothesis, and I sure as hell don't agree with most of Richard C. Hoagland's conclusions, what we can say for certain, regardless of its origins, is that the moon is there, orbiting the Earth as our galaxy traverses in the spiral arm of the Milky Way galaxy, and astronauts from Earth have walked and played golf upon that dusty lunar surface. And we'll prove it next time on the User Podcast. The User Podcast was made possible by The Knight Foundation Interplanetary Expeditions The Earth Cargo Service Sovereign Tech First University And with contributions from users like you. Thank you.